0: Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, June 28th. That means it's time for another episode of the Power Hour. I'll be joined by the team from Pittsburgh Power and we'll be taking all of your maintenance related calls and questions. So line them up. We're going to open those phone lines right now. If you have a question, a comment, a topic about anything maintenance, Engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, emissions, electronics, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and ask the question. We're opening the phone lines right now. I promise if you dial, you will get through. And we'll get to those calls here in just a little bit. Also coming up today in uh, just about an hour and a half, 9.30 My time here on the West Coast, 1230 on the East Coast will be jumping into the pit, politics in trucking. I'm pretty sure I had a lot of topics I wanted to uh, cover in politics right now, but I'm pretty sure we're going to spend a lot of time on uh, the Supreme Court and its latest rulings. I don't want to talk about abortion, but I do want to talk about the ruling, the Supreme Court itself. I can't believe how many people don't understand This ruling, even politicians, and I have to believe the politicians understand it, they just don't want to. But enough of that, we'll get to that in the pit today. Um, Two topics with the Supreme Court that are of interest to trucking, we'll be talking about them more. Um, One, it does not look like they're going to rule on AB 5 during this session. I think we're going to have to wait till October. Uh, we'll see and there is another decision though that they may decide before this one ends that could have an impact on trucking and it's uh, the case of West Virginia versus the EPA and uh, we've had some EPA issues here in trucking that are very very similar to what's being decided Uh, at the Supreme Court so we'll be talking about that later in the pit calls are starting to come in so line them up 855-950-3835 we're going to uh hear from the team from Pittsburgh Power and it looks like Bruce is up first on the board today so Bruce welcome back Well, thank you, Kevin. As always, it's our pleasure. uh, What's on your mind this week?
1: Well, I uh, had some good news. Uh, As you know, Larry Long has been uh, mentoring some new owner-operators, and I found out there's also Steve Wheeler is doing the same. They're both on with Landstar. And I had another call a couple weeks ago, and I did a little seminar with them last Tuesday night from the Charlie Mahan Mahon, and they're on with Swift, and Swift has 60 owner-operators, and I didn't know that. And they do every Tuesday evening, they do a seminar to help the new owner-operators, because most of them are lease purchase. But I was glad to see that other people were reaching out to help the new young owner operators.
0: Absolutely. And uh, those guys, everybody you mentioned is just doing an awesome job at that. I, I'd love to see that spread as well.
1: Yes. As I had a fella call me and I think he's new to owner operator and he didn't know his fuel surcharge. He bought an X fleet truck. It's a, uh, 2016, Cascadia was 600,000 miles on DD15, and then he cost him a one box right away, and he's making payments on that. And he said things are failing left and right, and nobody will help him, and nobody will talk to him, and and he's leased to one guy that has him leased to a large company. So I think he's out of his pay. He's paying two different people percentages. And so I asked Steve Wheeler if he would give him a call because that's beyond me. I don't know about leasing trucks on the company. <laughs> yeah, like I,
0: I was going to ask you about that. Something sounds really fishy there. Uh, I was going to say yeah. I'd look at it, but Steve will handle it. No problem. So that's uh, he's yeah. in good hands. So Anyway, radiators.
1: Uh, Parts are getting scarce for radiators. Companies are going out of business. The EPA is pretty tough on radiator manufacturers. If your rad is five or six years old, you may want to remove the shroud and take a look at the fins. The salt and mag chloride that's used in the wintertime on the highways gets lodged in there. You can look in in front of the fan from the engine side, and the rad looks fine, but you look at the four corners and you'll see that they're really rotted away and we're having problem getting good radiators. So don't wait until it's too late. And we got in 20 gallons of our mileage plus secret sauce for fuel mileage and uh, just about all 20 of those gallons are going on. So within about two or three weeks, we'll have some reports back. And that's all that that. I have for right now. Oh, hey, I do have one other thing. Um, When people call me, they want to right away, and they do it on this show, that right away they want to tell you about their problem. But we need to know what kind of truck you have, what year it is, what engine you have. If you want to talk about gearing, we need to know what engine or what transmission, what rears you have, your tire size. Uh, If you want to talk about fuel mileage, we need to know what kind of trailer you pull, your average gross weight, what territory you run, what speed you drive. So there's a lot of questions. And uh, I know people get excited and they just want to start telling you about the problem, but we need to know what you have. And I returned a call today to a business guy. And guess what? He left me a, he's not in trucking. He's a tree service. He left me a business card in my mailbox and I need his services, but he doesn't have a voicemail set up. (laughs) So how do you run a business without having a voicemail if you don't have a secretary to answer your phone calls? I don't know. So, voicemail is very important,
0: and if it's full, you have to empty it. That's it for me. All right. So, uh, I, there were a couple things I wanted to comment on. There, I should have made notes, but I wasn't uh, wasn't making notes. Let me go back. Uh, one um, on the have. Do you follow what's been going on with the Supreme Court this week? Just a little bit. Okay. Uh, I
1: haven't, I've been so busy with my private life. I haven't had a chance to listen yeah. to the news and I won't listen to fake news. So I have to catch it on Fox.
0: Yeah. So I'll, I'll catch up to speed pretty quick. Cause it was a pretty big week in a really good way. Uh, the Supreme court ruled on um, three big cases and they ruled very conservatively on all three um, obviously Roe v. Wade is the big one that everybody's talking about mostly, but the ruling on New York's um, concealed carry laws being unconstitutional, that was big. Roe v. Wade obviously was huge. Then the coach um, preying on the 50-yard line after football games, the high school coach, he was fired over it. Um, they supported him as well. So three really big... Yeah big decisions, um, really good decisions, uh, certainly for conservatives and libertarians. But there's another big one that they still might rule on. The session's almost over, but they may rule on this one. Everybody's expecting that they will. And it could have a pretty big impact on the trucking industry. The case is the EPA versus West Virginia, And what they're deciding, it doesn't even matter the specifics of the case, what they're really deciding. It's just like everybody's arguing about whether abortion is right or wrong or should be. That wasn't really the point. The, The Supreme Court doesn't rule on things like that. All the Supreme Court ruled on, they did not ban abortions. All they said was, this is not a constitutional issue. There is no right in the Constitution to get an abortion. So the Supreme Court should not rule on it because that's all they do is rule on whether something is constitutional or not, not whether it's right or wrong or we should be doing it or shouldn't be doing it. Now the states get to decide that. This case with the EPA, the, the big picture issue here is in a democracy we should be voting for the people who make the laws that affect our life. What's happened in our government is the government over decades has figured out how to use all these agencies to write regulations instead of laws. And we don't have any say in it because these, these agencies aren't people we get to vote for. They're bureaucrats. They're appointed. And that's, especially in big issues, those people should not be controlling our lives this way. And that's what this is going to decide. Do these government agencies, the EPA, the FDA, the CDC, should they be allowed to write these laws that really have an impact on our life and our businesses? Here, this is more of a business issue because the, the coal companies are fighting all of the um, EPA regulations that cost them so much money. Sounds kind of familiar, right? We had about a decade of fighting nothing but EPA rules that were poorly written.
1: So it was over the, I thought maybe when we first started talking about it, it was going to be WBU
0: and what they did with, Oh, Volkswagen. Oh, no. Yeah, that too. No, this one is um, this one's EPA and I believe the coal companies. Again, I don't even really care much about the details of this case because what the Supreme Court is really looking at is the bigger picture, not this specific case, but can mm-hmm. these government agencies write these kinds of laws that have such a big impact on business or do all of these things need to be put through Congress so they're decided by people we voted for? So that's, uh, that's what's going on on the pit today. All right, let's, uh, let's hear from uh, Pete and Leroy. Welcome, guys. Who's first today? I'll go first, Kevin. Lady first. All right, what's on your mind today?
2: I was just going to some fun facts. We were talking about ethanol last week and I, I looked up a couple of facts on it. Um, back in 2000, 90% of the corn was to feed people in livestock in 2013, only 15% was used, um, for food. What? And then 45% for livestock
0: and 40% is for ethanol production. Holy cow. That's a big change in a short period of time.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, as far as, and this has been going on for a while as far as, you know, is it cost-effective or, you know, are we saving anything? I mean, how much energy are we using to develop it? And and usually it's more energy is used than the outcome. And it would take, so we use 130 billion gallons of gasoline in this country. One bushel of corn only makes three gallons of ethanol. So even if we took all the corn we made or grew and turned it into ethanol, ethanol, it would only replace 25% of the fuel that we need. It's not like (sighs) even putting a dent in anything.
0: No, it's not. And you know, like you said, the, the, everything that has to go into production the seed has to be you know harvested and moved around and then the seed gets delivered to the farm then we got to put that seed on equipment that goes out and plants it and that's all burning fuel and then we got to go harvest it then we got to ship it then we got to process it when you look at that this is such a ridiculous thing to be doing and then the other issue here is that even if you could prove after all that this was still cheaper and i don't believe you can i believe you figure out all that production and everything else going on it's not cheaper it's not better for the environment it's probably much worse for the environment but then there's another factor in cost here the only reason this is even possible is because of the federal subsidies that make growing corn so cheap. The federal government props up the price of the corn through some complicated scheme they've got. And basically, if you look at what it costs to produce corn and what it sells for on the market today, you lose money. What corn sells for on the market today is less than what it costs to produce it. how can that be well the government subsidizes it but we we should stop saying it's government subsidized because the government doesn't have any money the government only gets money from us the taxpayers so corn is taxpayer subsidized so that means we're still paying that additional cost that makes it so cheap it's not cheap at all it's outrageously expensive and it's a really stupid thing to be doing
2: And right. the amount, so, you know, again, that corn production can be used to plant anything, you know, food. Um, one, what it would take to fill up a 25-gallon gas tank with ethanol would feed one person for a year.
0: Um, oh, really? So, oh. Yep. oh, that's I mean, insane. Ate, well,
2: Yeah, but I mean, I don't think they're talking corn alone, but you can right. use that. Right, that land. Whatever. Yeah. Oh. Almost, I mean, I didn't think it made sense
3: to do this even years ago, and for sure it's not. And you would need to use more. Like you said, it would only make 25% of the fuel that we use. Well, I feel like everyone I've talked to that runs the 85 gets worse fuel mileage, so you would even need more of it.
0: Well, Mm -hmm. that's true. Yeah.
3: I ran some numbers last week after we talked about it, and just that Jeep that I had, it would cost more even at current prices to run E85. So it's really? like short term, like when you fill up at the pump, it's cheaper, but like over the stretch of its lifespan, you would spend more money on fuel. <laughs> fuel mods is so much worse. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. But maybe eventually those, those two like lines cross and E85 is cheaper, but you know, that's more than I would drive,
0: so. <sighs> what a mess, really. Uh, so when the diesel engine first came out, they weren't
2: using diesel fuel that we know of now. It was made to run on uh, oils, like like um, peanut oil, soybean, animal fats, which at the time, oil wasn't that cheap to produce. So that made sense. And then once you know, fossil fuel became cost-effective, they went out that route. Yeah. So
1: Peter, are you saying when Klessy Cummins took Rudolf Diesel's engine, Rudolf Diesel was from Germany, when Klessy took that engine and made it so it could be used on highway, uh, hold on. he didn't have regular diesel fuel to run it on?
2: This article that I got off, the, um, off of Forbes uh, said that Rudolf Diesel, when he designed the diesel engine, it was to run on food oils and animal fats. Mm-hmm. But again, back then hey. there wouldn't have been a whole lot of petroleum industry like there is now.
0: Yeah. Hey, you, you okay. know, I, I just thought of when you were saying that I, I don't remember when this was, I'm sure it's been in within the last 10 years or so. Um, one of the times we had a big run up in the cost of fuel Remember how popular it was everybody was making their own biodiesel, which is basically what you're talking about here. They were getting, you know, used cooking oils and those kind of things and then there's a process and I mean you could buy the equipment people mm-hmm. were doing this in the in their garage. Remember that? Why isn't anybody doing that this yep. time?
3: We had one here remember, a few years when I was here before. We we dined with one of those once.
0: Oh, uh, did we? That so I remember
3: that. Yeah, that was <clears throat> they were collecting like the restaurant oil or something like that and then it was a local
0: company that was doing that. I remember that. There was mm-hmm. a lot of people doing that. It was all over social media, and why isn't that happening this time?
3: I guess it didn't work the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I think you also had to make some changes to the vehicle as well. Yeah, you had to recalibrate it for it. Yeah, there was, was a lot of changes. for the industry, of like,
2: like the Volkswagen diesel Rabbits People would run it in that, which was already getting
3: forty-five miles per gallon. So, but we'll at the point, and I think the other thing is, you can't just you know take it out of the fryer and just put it in the truck. There's no, a lot of processes no. to do. Yeah, and there they was clean
2: it and put some other chemicals.
0: Yeah, it yeah. required filtering, and then, all- and then there there were chemicals, and you know, and then there was a, there's another issue <laughs> if you want to run a vehicle solely on that fuel, it required quite a bit of modification i think you even had to have you had to start the engine on diesel fuel and then after the engine got to a certain temperature i think it could switch over um, but the other way was blending that stuff you were creating with diesel um, didn't require you know as much to do on the vehicle that way
3: yeah i think that was the other issue if i remember was like you're saying blending like every no, batch wasn't the same. And you can't just, you know, calibrate the engine to run on. Like all oh, right. this this batch of fuel was this one, so now we have to recalibrate it. It was, you know, not very consistent. Yeah. I, I think if you were putting it in something like old rabbit or a
2: yeah, old mechanical twelve valve, you could get away with a lot more than the newer stuff. I would think so,
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> huh. All right. Like you yeah, have What else you got, Pete? You know?
2: Um, So the last part of it was um, a way it makes us productive is to use uh, waste material, like algae. And the advantage there is you can use land that really won't produce anything of any value. polluted water, brine water. um, And it produces 20 times the oil production of food crop. And that's something they've looked into, growing um, algae in tanks. Have you seen that? That was a big thing a few years back, and that kind of petered out as well. Uh, but again, every time this cycles all the time, whether it's propane, hydrogen, whatever. If fuel prices go up, everyone's throwing something on there, you know, propane units or whatever. And then as soon as prices drop, right. everyone bails out of it again. So
0: this one's this kind cycle of multiple times. This one's kind of ironic. One of the problems we deal with in diesel fuel is algae. And now we're going to make diesel fuel out of algae. uh, Isn't that, don't they call those fuels biomass fuels? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, It's making a lot of waste product with it uh, as well as algae itself. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Leroy, what do you have this week?
3: Um, so, I bought your book that you talked about last week, the "How to Find a Wolf in Siberia." What do you think? And uh, so I read. I read through the whole thing. It's a pretty actually a pretty short read. Yeah, and it is. I think hundred pages, but I think every other page is blank, <laughs> which is kind of funny. <laughs>
4: There's
3: a lot of white space. Yeah, um, but yeah, actually, it was really good. I think it sort of uh, put into words like a, a lot of things that we do here or uh, things we even talk about on the radio. Like we have brought up for like, like three weeks now and it's just sort of puts into words and easy to understand language about how to troubleshoot things. And I feel like it's pretty helpful to really anybody. And the guy goes into the book.
0: I don't Have you finished it or? I'm about three quarters of the way through. I, it's a really short read. You're right. And I read, I read all day long. I just haven't finished. I, part of it is, um, and I don't want this to come across the wrong way. I, I didn't learn anything new, but I learned right, w- yeah. a, I learned a way that that really helps organize your thoughts around troubleshooting. So I kind of it, it actually, I'm going to go back to something Bruce just said because I'm the reason I haven't finished it is because I have a project idea. And I want to finish the book and work on this idea. Bruce, when you were talking earlier about, you know, tell us what kind of truck you have, tell us. And I got thinking, you know, this, we could build a system similar to what we do on the health side with our NutriQ. We, before we deal with people and their problem and try to figure things out, we gather all that information up front. Our NutriQ does it. I got thinking, I could take kind of this troubleshooting model, because the guy really did just a great job of organizing it so it really makes sense and it's kind of a system and I could create a questionnaire online for different things it, you know not one big one but we would be able to help people kind of gather the information needed to troubleshoot a lot more quickly um so that's that's really kind of what I got out of this book was kind of the system and the way he organizes it
3: yeah, like I think he even said that too. He's like, this isn't a book on how to troubleshoot one thing. It's like a methodology on how to really troubleshoot anything. Yeah. And I think that it could be helpful to an owner, like a, a, somebody that owns a truck, that, you know, maybe that doesn't troubleshoot all the time and they just don't think this way. Like you said, like me, me and you, we kind of do this all the time and we kind of already know the methods. But somebody could be like, oh, I just did this and then this happens, you know, maybe that's what the issue is versus like when they go into a shop and they maybe tell the guy the wrong thing or they give him misinformation. Um, I just feel like it would just be, you know, helpful to a lot of people. So I thought it was a pretty good read.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the big things I got out of it, and as soon as I was reading this part, I realized how bad I was at this and how much time it costs me. Even though I, I understand troubleshooting, I know the steps, I know what we should be doing, the one thing I don't do enough, and he really stressed it, I don't write enough down. I always think in my mind, I can remember that. I'll know that I tried this and this happened, and then I try, But... I am bad at that. If I would just take my time and say, okay, here's the setup, even snap a picture of it. Maybe then, then write down what worked, what didn't work. I should get a lot better at documenting the steps I've taken and the things I've tried.
3: Yeah. And it would even be good for, uh, you know, us in the shop or people that do work on trucks, you know, to document your process, kind of like show your work, you know, like, Oh, you said I need a one box. Like we talked about a few weeks ago, like, okay, well, what did you test to determine that I need a one box? So if you go up to the shop and they want you to pay your thing, like they should be able to prove, Hey, we tested the urea dose, or we tested the, the quality, we test this, this, and this. And we got to this point where you need a new one box. Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I realized when I was reading that, that one of the things I've been struggling with for several months now is trying to build a good mobile setup, to host this show. So I had a good mobile setup. If I want to go on the road, I don't have to drag a lot of equipment with me. Our hosts would be able to do a show without a bunch of complicated equipment that's always needing updating. And so I'm really, really trying to simplify it down Um, but there are a lot of things that have to happen. It has to be able to stream live. We have to be able to get a good recording when we do it. We have to be able to, um, you know, connect to different services and get the audio flowing in all the right directions. And I realized my biggest struggle is I'm just not writing down what I've already tried and what the results were. And then I think, you know, I'm going to, well, I don't need to write it down. I'm going to come back later this afternoon, and I'm going to work on it again, and I'll remember Well, I don't get to it that afternoon. I get to it two or three days later, and I can't remember everything I did. So it's almost like I keep starting over. And if I would just take a couple minutes and write this stuff down, I'm sure it would help a lot.
1: When do you get into your 70s? (laughs) (laughs) You walk into a room and say to yourself, why did I walk in here? yeah <laughs> and then it'll hit you at three o'clock in the morning, man
0: I got a call so and stuff, so it's it's tough. yeah, yeah, you're right, I'm sure that's some of it that's going on, uh, but it really I guess for- that's why people my age are playing shuffleboard and golf, right <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> you uh, not too much to remember on golf. <laughs> <laughs> or shuffleboard or shuffleboard. Or, yeah. I'm, I'm not take, saying it doesn't a take... in game when they roll the
1: balls. Bocce. Yeah. Yeah. Bocce. <laughs> I, love
0: bocce. I, I do too. I, I got into Bocce for a while. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. We play
3: extreme Bocce. You like throw it on the
0: road and stuff. Yeah. We, um, <laughs> you know, we, we got bored with, know, uh, I, you know, the typical where somebody tosses the bocce ball, you know, 15 or 20 feet away. We started playing extreme bocce ball where you would take it and throw it as far as you could and then see who could even yep. get close to it.
1: Yep. Okay. We're getting off, off the purpose of the show, so. <laughs> All
0: right. So, uh, oh, Leroy, you have anything?
3: No, that was that was sort of my thing. I just want to talk about your cooking. Got, uh, it. Leroy, and Leroy, got- can you Hey, can you touch on uh, Chris Jones, a fellow
1: that in his 50s now, but he's been a client since he was 18 years old. Very helpful. I always want to call him a young man, but very helpful guy. And he saw people working on an ISX in the truck stop parking lot the other day. And the guy said, I need an actuator. Some are saying I need a turbo. So Chris called me, and I had JR on the phone with him. And JR thinks it was an electrical issue. Did you have anything to do with that, Leroy?
3: Mm-hmm. I feel like I remember JR talking about it, but I don't really remember any specifics. I don't know okay. the-
1: so if if a person thinks they have an actuator problem, that which works the variable geometry veins, but it could be electrical, tell us what could be wrong
3: with that? So, if you if break it down into sort of black boxes, you have the ECM, you have the wires that send the power and the ground and a data link to the actuator, and then you have the actuator itself with a motor inside that moves the um, uh, whatever, I can't think of the name of it, moves the turbo, the variable part of the it. The vanes? Yeah, the vanes. Right. And then you have the turbo itself. So, if you have you think you have a turbo issue then you need to determine like does it have like is the ecm connecting right so you can connect to it right then you hook up to a laptop do you see measured position versus commanded are they the same you you have a data link connection to the actuator that would also tell you if it didn't read anything back that said commanded five five percent and you saw zero percent back then oh i might not even have a that hey, you need say that a little
1: bit slower so us non-electrical people can comprehend that.
3: So there's a two-wire connection that goes to the actuator from the ECM. That is sort of the highway that the ECM communicates to the actuator. The actuator mm-hmm. is just a smart device with a motor inside that the ECM says, go to this position. Right. So it sends a command out through these two wires that go to the actuator. The actuator receives the command, then internally it moves the veins to where whatever position it commands. And then it will send back to the ECM, hey, I moved the actuator to eighteen percent. Also, here is my temperature, here is the current that it took me to move the motor to that position. And those sort of things kind of are always talking. They always are in conversation. Between, well, you know, I want you to do this. Okay, I did that. The actuator never really gives any commands to the ECM. It just receives commands and then gives back, you know, a a response. It never really tells the ECM to do anything. So if you have an actuator issue, you need to determine, well, can I even talk to it? Am I hearing something back? Because the ECM might say, hey, go to 18%. And then there's no response. So that could be a wiring issue, that could be an ECM issue it could also be a dead actuator, but you sort of just troubleshooting wise, you have like a list of things that it could be, and you start to break down, okay, is it this? Is it that? And you just cross off the things as you go through them.
1: Kevin, did you write all that down? I did. (laughs) (laughs) So, now, that's part of troubleshooting. And how many people go out and spend $5,000 to get a turbo and an actuator put on their truck? And that's not the problem.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it's always yeah. been expensive to throw parts at problems. And now it's really expensive to throw parts at problems. So not a good idea. Take the time, troubleshoot it right um save yourself a lot of time and money um all right I think we uh, we're gonna get to some calls phone lines are open if you want to jump in right now it would start dialing 855-950-3835 I I'm looking at a product guys I'd like to get your feedback on it but then I want to get some feedback from drivers and owner operators we we may put this product in the store it is a really really simple thing not complicated at all but In my mind, it's such a good idea. I mean, I would absolutely use this if I still had a truck. Um, Greasing the fifth wheel, always kind of a pain. It was always one of those things you put off because it's dirty and it's messy. And um, I have a company that reached out to me. uh, Normally, I find this stuff when I'm looking around, but I had never seen this company reached out to me Uh, and ask me about reviewing this product for them and possibly putting it in our store. So it's a square, um, roughly about the size of a deck of cards, but not, it's more square than that, but roughly about that size and maybe an inch, inch and a half thick. And it's got a, like a plastic film over it and you get a box of them. I don't know if there's five in a box. I'd have to go check. So you pull this thing out and it's a square of grease. It has this film over it so you can handle it and you don't get any grease on your hands or anything. And all you do is put two of these squares right in about right on each side of the fifth wheel, just behind the center mark kind of. And then you just go hook up to a trailer. And the trailer smashes this grease and spreads it across the fifth wheel. And I haven't tried it on a truck yet. I want to go find a truck today and try it. I watched a video of it. looks pretty awesome. I mean, it looks like a great way to grease fifth wheels. I saw that product. What do you think? I'm not in the fifth wheel industry, and I don't have to
1: grease fifth wheels, so I didn't think much about it because it really didn't pertain to me.
0: Yeah, I... Um I kind of got thinking about, like I said, it was one of those things that I didn't do as often as I wanted to because it was a mess and you had to get out the mm-hmm. grease gun and the, you know, all that and mess with it. And I looked at this and I thought it's just a simple product. It's not really that big of a deal, but man, I just have a, a box of these with me and throw it on the fifth wheel when you need some grease. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, um, you know, I, I grease trailer hitch balls, but uh,
1: Real quick, one day, Pete and I left the head for Louisville with our 96 Dodge Dooley pulling our show trailer, and I could hear strange noises coming from the back of the pickup truck. And I said to Pete, he had looked it up. I said, did you grease that hitch (laughs) or the ball, and did you grease where the swing-up bars go in, the torsion bars? He said, nah, you don't have to do that. (laughs) Well, we we stopped a short ways later, got a grease gun, and, drop the trailer and grease it all and the noise went away. So, you know, yes, you have to grease those things.
0: You know, it seems logical when you look at it, but I can remember and I don't remember where we were. uh, But at one point you look, I was pulling something with a a hitch, obviously, and you looked at it and you said, aren't you going to put some grease on that? And I said, why would I? And then you explained it. And I thought, you know what, you're probably right. It makes a lot of sense. I don't know why I didn't think about that.
1: <laughs> well, because not everybody can think of
0: everything all the time. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we'll throw you know this that out there. Thing, I mean, it's... No man is an island. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I, I, you know, I have a feeling I'm, I'm going to reach out to them and get this in the store. I mean, I, I get some feedback, um, such a simple product. So I think it's a great solution. So we'll see, but I'd love to get some feedback from people. What you think about that? Let's, uh, let's grab some phone calls. If you want to jump in right now, we still have some open lines, 855-950-3835. We're going to get started in Texas today. Stephen, welcome to the program.
5: Hey, guys. Hey, I just wanted to share this experience uh, to show when operators really need to be searching for their parts. Because I've got a 2018 Freightliner with the DB-15 and the horror stories of the one box. Um, and I've got 730,000 miles on my truck. Trucks run, run great. I've had no issues. But I decided I better start looking into the one box because we do, my wife and I do, about 180,000 miles a year. i will be... At over 800,000 miles this year. So I called a couple of big freight liners that I like using, and they all had said they have started sitting on their property right now for over 200 days waiting on this one box. So I figured I'd better get one on order, thinking seven months we'll have, you know, close to 800,000 miles. So I found a little dealer up in uh, Michigan that I like using. And I asked him, he's like, well, I "I think we could have one in 60 days. I said, all right, well, I'd like to order one and and just have it set aside for a rainy day. And uh, I ordered it. Two weeks later, he called me and says, your one box came in. So you get these big dealers and they're pushing like 200 days. But then I found this little dealer and within two weeks, uh, and that's not what they thought it was going to be at all. uh, But it turns out two weeks and I've got a one box I don't really need right now, but I'll just throw it away till I need it. But, but I just think, you know, drivers, you really, really do have to call around and, and put a lot of effort into finding these parts.
6: I agree.
1: Yeah. That, he that. has some horror stories on. Pete, you have some horror stories on. You call one day and they don't have it and the next day they have it.
2: Yeah, we're see a lot of that. And I, I don't know if these, uh, like, you know, when I Check with my suppliers. What's the time frame? Um, no one wants to commit to a time frame. I'm not sure if they even can. Uh, the one we needed a one box for one of our customers, and it was nine or ten weeks to get one. Uh, I got another guy. Now we're just putting an aftermarket one in because I was able to get that within two weeks. Where the OEM one, they wouldn't even give me a time frame. They just like we have no idea. Um, you know, as, as far as calling around. So keep in mind, at one time, a lot of dealers would, you know, if a dealer called me and said, hey, do you got these, these pistons, I'll sell it to them because, because I got a truck in the shop, I need a set of pistons I can't get. Um, nowadays, I don't think shops want to give anything up. So a shop might have it and isn't going to sell it to you, they're saving it for, you know, a better customer, a bigger customer, whatever it might be.
0: I think a lot of that's going on as well. Probably. When we start to see shortages, this stuff uh, this stuff gets critical. Bruce, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, for owner-operators, how important it is to have a relationship with a good shop. Um, you mm-hmm. have to remember with all the things you've done, you know, the racing, the boats, snowmobiles, all that, how important it was to have somebody you could go to, a really good parts guy. Remember that? Oh, yes. The, the, the people that day. can just find anything. And today, it's like mm-hmm. you walk into a parts house, and if you don't have a VIN number, it's like they're lost. Yeah. And yeah. when you're trying to do something on a truck that wasn't there originally... And you're just looking for a part and they just keep wanting a VIN number. And I just keep telling them, if I give you the VIN number, you're not going to find this part. I'm trying to do something different. And it's like, they're just lost. Like they, they can't find anything anymore.
1: It's called people that are just there for their hourly pay. They're not there to learn and to progress. the, so, and you have a lot of that. We have a lot of that in trucking, not in people driving trucks, but people uh, servicing, working on them, selling parts. Uh,
0: you, know. you know, the last Your heart's time not i not in the trucking industry, you shouldn't be here. The last time I really dealt with this was um, at a CMC in Council Bluffs. I wanted to I was replacing the two uh, starter batteries in my coach. And they're monsters. They're like double the size of a Group 31. So instead of four batteries, I have just have two to start it. And I wanted to replace all the cabling because the way they had cabled it, in my mind, the the final connection at the battery was just too small. And that's what kept failing. So I was going to replace all the cabling. And it it's big. And that's not standard cable. You have to order it and you got to order all the different fittings. And it was fairly complicated. So I needed these weird connectors. And I'm standing at the parts store for like an hour and a half. And the first time they order stuff, it comes in, it's all wrong. So I go back and I'm trying to talk to the guy and explain. It it was one of those cases where before it was all over with, I was behind the counter with them. So we could go through. I'm like, I was on the website. I can find it. But you know, he just he just wasn't getting it. And, you know, I can remember growing mm-hmm. up because I was always working on something. And, you know, where I lived, I had one parts place that I would do 90 percent of my business with. And I had one guy that I dealt with. And when I needed something, he could find it. Try We've got lots of stories like that. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, you know, kind of what Stephen's call was about was, you know, you might call around and get no a bunch of times, but there are other ways, there are other places. But his point was, and it's well taken, when we're dealing with what we're dealing with now, shortage is everywhere. It's, or Pete, like you just said, they may even have the part. They just know it's a limited part and they don't want to give it up. You know, being able, this is kind of like a skill of troubleshooting, being able to dig and look and find and, and do what Stephen did. Um, that's going to be a pretty important skill right now.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: That's right. All right. Okay. Let's, uh, let's grab another call. Lines are open. If you want to jump in, it's maintenance free for all the power hour, 855 950 3835 Heading off to Oklahoma, Paul. Welcome. Howdy. What's Um, on your mind today?
7: Grease on a fifth wheel, but then I got a comment about one boxes as well. I I put grease on a fifth wheel for a long time. I got a Teflon pad, and then I have a red and tacky aerosol can. I'm a match truck and trailer guy, so I'm kind of lucky. I've towed one trailer in 1.1 million miles. So, <laughs> but when I unhook my trailer, because I, I I just last year I put a I was getting a bit of wear in my fifth wheel, not because it was a lack of grease, just a million miles wear stuff out. So I put a new kingpin in and a new fifth wheel on, and I have red and tacky in an aerosol can, and I just spray the jaws and spray the kingpin every time I unhook and hook it back up and I got the Teflon pad on the, on the, it's actually on the trailer. So yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a good setup too. I like that. But like you said, you have the the same trailer for a million miles.
7: Yeah. 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 (laughs) I might buy another one. (laughs) Um, So, but for Bruce on the, instead of putting grease on the, On the cobalt, I'll I'll, I'm coming up there in July. I'll bring you a can of stuff that's dry graphite, which will do the same. You spray it; it's wet, and then it dries. If you sprayed the ball and then sprayed up in the cup, you'd have graphite on graphite, and that's what we use on the rails. So you're not steel on raw steel on raw steel, and it works a breeze.
1: So. And then when you're walking behind your pickup truck and your pants hit the trailer hitch ball, you don't have grease on your pants, right?
7: Yeah, because <laughs> grease is like very, a little bit will go a long way. So. <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah.
7: So, and then uh, you're, talking, you're talking about the one, the one box. Mark Gwynn, he had to get a new one box in his Western Star. And because uh, he was getting his panties in a and. I'm going to delete it. And I said, you're not going to delete it. I said, don't be stupid. And he called around and he called TransWest out there in Denver. That's who he bought the huge truck. That's who he bought it from. And they said, yeah, we got one boxes. And he got a, they did the, he was going to have them ship it to Houston and then ship the core back and everything. I said, why don't you just get a load to Colorado and have them put it in and see they got it. And it cost them about thirteen grand, I think, in the end when it was all done. But yeah, so but they they had like ten one box. That was I don't know six weeks ago, two months maybe. And they had ten one boxes in stock. Yeah,
4: mm-hmm.
7: interesting. So, but uh, if people need a one box, you you gotta maybe look on the internet or make a lot of phone calls and tell people you'll bring them some business if they'll sell you a one box because he was going to have them, he lives in Houston, he was going to have them ship it to Houston and then have a shop, put it in and then have to ship the call back and I said, why well, don't you just get a load to Colorado which is what he did and they'd be, they were more than happy to sell him a one box and get the installation and everything so there, there you go, go
0: you got to so, work at it you that's, that's uh, you know that right that's now we're talking about yep. you know maintenance and parts and working at things and what a lot of people are going to have to realize is the last 10 years or so in trucking you didn't have to work very hard at much of anything other than moving freight just go move freight you'll make money you'll you'll do just fine it's been that easy it that's over Party's over. There's still going to be money to be made, but it's a whole lot more difficult now. You better have these relationships. You better be doing these kinds of things. And already, I mean, all over the news, I am just seeing small trucking companies going out of business. I think when we see the numbers from June, as far as how many people gave up their authority, 9,000 in May um i expect it to be even bigger but those are the kind of things that are going to make the difference when you're good at all these things troubleshooting finding parts building relationships knowing your numbers those are the people that will get through this they always do people who aren't good at any of those things are, are going to drop quick this time
1: so kevin with the fuel surcharge on Landstar, it's more than paying for the fuel Bruce the 60 that, owner operators on with swift that, If they fill their tank, they get an80 dollars plus and they're not paying for fuel. So what is the problem?
0: Well, that that's a little deceiving because when you say the fuel surcharge covers the cost of fuel, that's different for every single owner operator. because it depends on their fuel mileage. The guy's getting less than six. Every time fuel goes up, their cost goes up. The people getting exactly six are just dead even. No matter what, fuel could go to $20 a gallon. They would still be even on their profit. Anybody getting more than six miles to the gallon, when fuel goes up, their profit actually goes up. So you're right. What is the problem? The problem is these guys don't work on their fuel economy. They don't know their numbers. And even though... Basically right now, fuel for the most part is almost free for most people. These guys are still struggling. they're they a lot of them are going out of business already and we're just we're just at the beginning of this thing. Okay. All right. Okay. Let let's go back to the phones. Phone lines are open if you want to jump in and join us. Calls are starting to come in. So uh Get them in here. We are going to wrap this up at uh, 9.30 today, West Coast time. We'll be jumping into the pit after that. So get your calls in now, and we'll help you out. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Doug, welcome to the program.
4: Hey, guys. Real pleasure to talk to all of you. Uh, I'm over here in uh, just outside of uh, uh, Pittsburgh Power. I'm actually in a hotel. I'm, I'm, I'm booked in for a five-day uh stint there at Pittsburgh Power. But um just quickly on the fifth wheel product you're talking about, those I'm going unlike Paul who's stayed hooked to the same trailer for one point one million miles, I I'm in a drop and hook operation. So I drop and hook every day multiple times and I really I I look at my fifth wheel every time I do that, make sure it's greased and you know uh Lucas has made that exact same product for years. Oh really? You can buy Lucas Red and Tacky in the packets, and you buy them in a case of thirty, and you can you put one packet on each side of the fifth wheel, and it does you know it's exactly the same thing.
0: Huh?
4: Now I don't do that because the packaging there's a cost to that packaging. Uh, it's a real convenient thing to do. I'm tempted to do it, but it's just I do it so often. It's cheaper for me just to buy a tube of the Red and Tacky. And I go to the hardware store and buy, you, know, you can buy like 20 uh, paint stir sticks. You know, they're just pieces of wood to stir your paint. Yeah. Yep. And I just stick that in the tube and, and pull out a glob of grease and put it on a fifth wheel. And I save a little bit of money by doing it that way. But those packets, Red and Tacky Lucas uh,
0: products, who I, I've used for years and have had great success with, Lucas makes that exact same thing. I I will check that out. I've never seen that.
4: Yeah, it looks like a real convenient thing to do, and it it, it would it it would be convenient. But like I said, I, I like my method. I buy the red and tacky tubes by the case, and I can just you know pull a glob out and put it on each side of the fifth wheel. After you hook to the trailer and it starts to smear around, it, it it coats that fifth wheel.
0: Yeah, uh, I just will fine. Love. So. I'll check that out. I appreciate the feedback.
4: No problem. So, my so a little bit of background on my um, my deal. I I I'm a, I drove truck back in the early nineties for two or three years when I was a young man and didn't have any skills and didn't know what I was going to do in life. And then I I, I I I luckily I found an owner operator or a, a small fleet owner five trucks. He paid a percentage rate I made really good money but you know after three years or so I was bored with it and uh, you know as as young men do you get you get some feet under you and, and you go on and do something else in life I had a whole other career and the only thing I could think about while I was at a desk for 27 years was being back out on the road uh, there's just something about being on the road that changes your life you know I learned so much those three years. I, I really learned my country. I, I went to all 48 states and and uh, really changed my life. And uh, so as I retired, I I bought a truck, an old old truck. I went kind of with uh, with Kevin's old business model. I bought an old pre emissions truck, uh, and I spent three months looking for it. I bought a truck from a from an owner operator for. He was an owner-operator for 47 years. Uh, It's an old N14 with a 13-speed Eaton. And uh, he owned the truck since it was new. And he had every single receipt from the maintenance of that truck all organized in chronological order in a binder, in a sheet protector. And you could just leaf through that binder and see that he... Just was absolutely on top of the maintenance the whole time of that truck. Um, the truck, he ran the truck 1.1 million miles and then, uh, took the old motor out and dropped in a a Cummins remand, uh, N14 that was built to the five and a quarter CPL. Uh, and I, he had the paperwork for that. I took that paperwork and the truck to, uh, come in Cincinnati, and they were able to pull up in the computer to verify the serial number on the motor and uh, the paperwork I had was all legitimate. That's exactly, you know, what happened. So, so anyway, I, I've got this. It took me that was July 31st last year is when I bought that truck, and it took me nine months to get the truck on the road that the DMV in Virginia was so backed up from quote unquote COVID that, uh, you know, I, I, I did everything I could do to get that truck on the road when rates were up for six, seven months and I was sitting on the side of the road, unable to tag the truck, unable to get my IFTA sticker. So I just got the truck on the road two and a half months ago. And, uh, and the first, you know, six or seven weeks, I, you know, your body's got to get used to driving a truck again. Especially my old body, it hurts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to sit in that seat. And, but I'm you? getting better at it. I'm 57. Oh, you're still, and, yes. uh, yeah, it, you still got Yeah. I can't imagine what 74 or 75 feels if it hurts this much now. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I've only really worked the truck the last three or four weeks, you know, full-time. I've I've gotten up to to 550 or 600 miles a day. I've got a good gig. Um, I'm making money with it. Uh, it, But, of course, any old truck, it's a 23-year-old truck, but I've heard so much about that N14 engine that, you know, it was one of my top priorities. So anyway, I got this old truck, got good records on it, I've got a good relationship with the previous owner. He'll answer my calls anytime. Uh, he's just a wonderful guy. Um, so I I put the truck into Pittsburgh Power yesterday with a five-day appointment and a $6,000 budget. And my goal this trip is to, uh, you know, get the motor perfect. You know, let, let's get the power plant running right, especially since we're heading into summer and the heat, and it's, it's, real, it's real, real hard on the motor to, to run through this heat. And uh, one of the issues that the motor has is that it has unusually low oil pressure. It's got 500,000 miles on the crate motor, which was a Cummins reman. I mean, it was taken from a bare block. It was magniflexed, you know, and then built from there. It's, it, at, at temperature, the oil pressure is 32 PSI. At idle, at temperature, it's 12 PSI, which is barely in spec. It should be 40. Uh, and, you know, I, I came in with a big budget. One of the problems on the motor that I knew and I negotiated $2,500 off of the purchase price was that the cam follower gasket was leaking. And that's a common problem with these N14s. The N14 kind of has three weak points: the the injectors, the injector harness, and in this cam follower gasket. It's not that the cam follower gasket goes out often; it's that when it does, it's a big dollar item to fix. To fix that cam follower gasket is thirty five hundred dollars, most of that's labor, and that includes an overhead, which I would do anyway. Uh, so I've got that issue going, but I'm really concerned about this low oil pressure, and I'm I'm tempted to just go ahead and roll bearings. And Pete? I just want to get some feedback from Bruce and 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 and, and all you guys and, and see what 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 should I do here?
1: Pete's more of the N14 expert, so I'm going to let Pete answer that one.
4: Well, Pete, Don't you know this the truck, truck that, that's, that's that's that old red truck that's in there.
2: Yes, yeah, so I think Brian was going to pull the pan and check bearings because nothing's shown up. Now, um, on the dine on the road test, we can't get the pressure to drop that low. But as well, we're not driving it hours at a time to get the temperature up. Um, we did take an oil sample to send out for an analysis to see if there's anything going on there. Uh, we checked the gauge. We verified that, that your gauge is correct, and it is. We checked the oil system for sucking air. And it's pretty simple. You take a valve cover off and you let the truck run and you look for air bubbles in the oil. That was fine. We checked loop pump pressure. We checked the pressure um, on the oil cooler before and after the filter. So far, everything's in spec. So I know this morning I, I, meant, I talked to Brian and we're going to drop the pan and, and check bearings. Hopefully something shows up there because... You are at the limit of what's acceptable. At, at you know, hot idle twelve, and going down the road thirty-two hot is—it's not going to take much before you're out of spec. Right. See, so hopefully, about, uh, what at, at
1: I'll go, oh, go ahead, Brian. About, uh, go ahead, uh, Bruce. What about the pressure regulator in the pump, Pete?
3: Can we look at that?
2: So definitely affect idle pressure. So if going down the road, he was fine, um, but at an idle then that's where we, we pop that out and, you know, replace the spring in or plunger is hanging it up. Because usually what happens is you get on a road, of course, higher RPMs, you make a uh, higher oil pressure, the plunger goes up. And then when you slow down, the plunger doesn't come back. And uh, that'll generally affect uh, idle oil pressure than anything else.
0: The loop pump made the correct pressure when we checked. Hey, what? um yeah. What oils in this truck? It's a T four Rotella T four. Okay, so it's just a standard fifteen forty T four. Okay, I, I was just wondering in yeah. case somebody had put in like a you know thirty weight synthetic, which is becoming really common today. No. Okay. All right.
4: No, no, no. That's not. That's not the issue. It's it's had this. It had a consistent. Yeah, that's a consistent oil for a long time on this truck.
0: Got it. Okay, but
4: it's, this truck is like I say think about think about it. This truck had this crate motor put in in 2008, and it's only gone 500,000 miles since then. And oh, I can I can look through the records and know the guy moved it 110,000 miles or so for the first three years, and then he just kind of got into semi retirement. And for the last five years, it's only gone fifty thousand miles, and but he's but he's been very consistent with it with the with the maintenance. And I'm just really really I, see the, the point is the the point I am at in my business. I can't afford to spend. I can't afford to to um, to spend a bearing right now. Um, right. right. I mean, nobody can ever afford to spend a bearing, but that would be catastrophic to me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Spending $2,500 to, to roll in a set of bearings is that's a lot of money, but I've got a $6,000 budget, you know, right now, you know, it's, it's kind of, do I just go ahead and do it? Am, am I over maintaining to do that? Or am I being prophylactic and just saying, okay, we've got the money. Let's, let's put it in now. And maybe we didn't need it, but well, let's. But we could be preventing a huge problem later. Let's
1: think about this, Pete. Did um, you say the oil pump is producing the oil pressure?
2: Yes. Yeah, so there's a Cummins has a spec for the. Uh, you actually put a pressure gauge at the loop pump itself. Okay. So, Pete, um, yeah, so, I mean, hopefully, we can find bearings when we drop the pan because that would, you know, give them an answer to the problem. Uh, if we drop the pan well, and the bearings are good – um, you know, changing bearings is fine, but it, it might not solve anything because
0: we're not seeing an issue there. Yeah, that was going to be... Well, we are my, seeing an issue.
4: Uh, well, we that was going to be, be my issue, next though. point. We're, we're seeing low oil pressure.
0: Pete... Um, I mean,
4: an issue with the bearings.
0: Yeah. So, Pete, when, when you inspect the bearings, and your experience on this <laughs> engine, is there anything that, that could be wrong with the bearings that you wouldn't be able to physically see? No. So, no. And, and the reason I bring that up, Doug, is because I know it might feel better. If we look at the bearings and there's nothing wrong with them, I mean, you can physically see there's nothing wrong with them. I know sometimes it would still feel better to say, well, let's roll something just in case. The reason I wouldn't do that is that's $2,500 that you no longer have to spend to fix the right problem once you find it. So rather than roll in a set right, of bearings just to, to feel better, if they look good, I I would keep digging till you find the correct problem. I hey, Pete, could you have a
2: ten under crank with standard bearings? It, it would make enough oil pressure to get them out out of the garage. If that was the case. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
4: What about what okay. about the plastic plastic gauging the bearings? I mean, isn't there some? Definitive test we can do with those bearings, or do we just pop a couple out and look for scratches?
2: Is that what we're doing? We'll be looking for wear. If there'd be a lot of copper on them, would indicate a bearing issue. Now, you know, the you know, even trucks from late '90s. I mean, it's not uncommon to go a million plus miles on a set of bearings and still look fine, uh, unless they have sort of issue. Uh, the thing we did check was also uh, uh, oil temp. On the dyno, the hottest we got it was like one ninety on the water and two hundred on the oil, which is I mean, the thermostat not even opening up at that point for the uh,
4: oil cooler. So did we're not being extreme. Did-, on that. did we test the, the the gauge, the oil temp gauge on the dash? That the hottest I've ever gotten that oil was 110, and, and that was one time, and it was the last trip. I was on I-75 heading into Tennessee, and I there's no warning signs about what that grade is. I I, I hadn't driven that road in so many years. And I didn't remember how big that grade was. I had the truck at 1550 and in a light load, and was just trucking on up, and, and and looked down at the at the EGR gauge. It was uh, slightly over 900. <laughs> So I dropped two gears, and but the oil temp at that point was at two hundred ten. It's never been higher than that in my ownership of the truck. So we would have used the digital heat gun to verify the temperature.
2: If all we saw was too hot and two tens perfectly safe as well. Hey
1: Pete, yes. Pete, he, he mentioned something I haven't heard for years: is plastic gauge, and we used to use that. I know in the race car industry, you use it on every engine. Send uh, Mac down to K-Rose. Call them and see if they have some plastic gauge. Let's just check the clearance between the rods and the mains with the crank, with the plastic gauge.
4: Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Bruce. I think that's the definitive answer. You can't just Mm -hmm. look at the bearings. You've got to know what the clearance is. And the way you do that, as far as I know, is to plastic gauge it and get a reading right. Mm
8: Mm-hmm.
4: Hmm. I just I've got to eliminate this as a possibility because I've got other things. I mean, I and that six thousand dollar budget. You know, I would lo- love to fix that um, that leaking um, cam follower gasket, but that's that's just an oil leak. I mean, that can go another two months. Is it you know if if I have to spend the money on the which, on, on the which barons, one is
1: it? Is it the front one or the middle one or the back one?
4: That's leaking. Yes. I would say it's it's the back the back one's leaking the worst. It's hard to tell. I mean, you know how that oil goes all over when a hot engine. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell which one's leaking, but I would say the back one is leaking the worst.
1: Yeah, you know, when you're looking for an oil leak, pressure wash the engine. Wants to wet cover the area where you think the leak is with talcum powder or baby powder. You oh, know, that's when, I that, when that dries on the engine, then. It absorbs the oil as the oil is leaking, and that way you can see exactly where it's coming well,
4: from. That's a good. What track. kind of truck is I it? Well, I bought the you know I bought the drivetrain. I bought the best maintained drivetrain I could find. It happened to come yeah. into a in a in an international uh, ninety four hundred, uh, which I didn't really see. want, but but it was the best maintained N fourteen with a thirteen speed I could find, and
1: this you know, is
4: the rear one. Come.
1: And we don't have to drop the starter. It, it won't take that much money to fix that leak. Well, right. It's a, well, a lot easier in the front. or if like it's the, the front one now, you've got the air compressor and everything else. And accessory drive. Accessory drive. drive. But if it's the rear one, it's not that bad. Center one's the easiest
0: All right. Well, I think we've got uh, a plan of attack here. Uh, I'm going to move along. We've got a lot of calls and a little bit of time, so we're going to try to knock them all out. We're going to go to Washington. Jerry, welcome to the program.
6: Well,
8: hello, strangers. How are you guys doing?
0: Good. It's been a while.
8: It has been a while. It has been uh, crazy hectic in my life. Um, Finally got the brand new truck going after taking delivery of back in July I'm only on my second trip and I'm going to I'm testing it real good cuz I did one trip to LA last week and I'm doing another trip to LA this week to kind of test it out real good and I figured this is a good way to test it so um, I have a couple of questions one is and, and most of it has to do with the catalyst um, so I ran my first week on the new truck with no catalyst in it. I just ran it. And then this week when I topped off before I left, I went in and put catalyst in it. Um, so I'm kind of testing it with, with the new truck here. I, w- I didn't have real great experience with it on my 2014 that I sold um, to get this one here. But I, put, I, I did another kind of experiment, and I put some catalyst in my Ford pickup. And... I was towing my race trailer. I had to go... I got to go... Again, I had had to take the race car down to Vegas to have some updated chassis work done. And so I've got to go pick it up next week. But I put the catalyst in it just to kind of see how to do with my pickup. And something really scared me on it in that the pickup acted like... A gas car and it's missing timing a little bit. Like you got water in the distributor or something like that. That's what it felt like, but on a diesel. And it kind of really made me really nervous. I wasn't sure what to do. It's never done that before. Only when I put the catalyst in. So I thought maybe, well, maybe I put too much in. I'm not sure, you know, I'm trying to measure it right with what I've got in the pickup. And so I went ahead and, Went to a filling station and and filled it back up. And granted, I'd only put in, I only put in like maybe seven gallons and it's a 30 gallon tank, but I figured maybe it diluted it. I put too much in. Um, but I wasn't sure if that was the case, so I wanted to ask about that because I am leaving next week to go to Vegas again to go pick up my car. And I didn't know if I wanted to run the catalyst in my pickup for that long of a trip when had this one experience with it.
1: Well, first of all, what year is the power stroke?
8: Oh three.
1: How many miles are on it?
8: Uh, it just turned a hundred. I got about one hundred and three on it.
1: So it's a pretty low, low mileage. So yeah, I don't. Did you I
8: put don't thirty? Did load. you
1: put? Did you put thirty cc's of catalyst in it?
8: Um. I put whatever it said on the jug, so I don't know what it is, or so I, I don't have the jug. Now, wait a, use, wait so a second. Nose.
1: the jug says one ounce to 25 gallon.
8: So then I put one ounce in, because it's a 30-gallon tank, so I put one ounce in.
1: Okay. Maybe... Maybe you felt or heard some old carbon coming loose, but uh, I've never had, you know, we've got in the three years, there's almost a 100,000 gallons of catalyst out there. And what your experience, I've never had anybody tell me that. So you may be going through a cleaning out process. I haven't noticed anything like that and I run it in everything. So I did notice in the boat, um you know boats run along at low rpms a lot of times and they'll go along for months and then all of a sudden there'll be one day if you're cruising the entire day and we cruise along at a thousand rpm you'll see the haze of smoke come out and that's the final cleaning day and that's what I think you were experiencing. okay in in your new truck what what engine is it?
8: you're semi- on the x15. 565 with 2050 yeah. torque. I got the higher yeah. torque because we run heavy haul. You know, we're running 105.5 up in Washington all day long, so that's why I went with the bigger torque motor.
1: Guys with the new X-15s that are running it from day one, people were 350,000 miles and uh, no forced regions. Uh, Al Hemerson was at uh, I think 286,000. they had about 23 Uh, minutes of in time, I did have a fella call. He's running a new Volvo, and he's been running catalyst since day one, and he he decided to do a check. He pulls out his turbo boost sensor to look at the soot on it, and so long as he was running the catalyst in the Volvo, the boost sensor was clean. He ran the truck 6,000 miles without the catalyst, pulled the boost sensor out and saw the soot, and he's back on the catalyst.
0: All right. Hey, uh, Jerry. Um, I, uh, Jer- Jerry, yeah. um, anything else yeah. we can help with? And I'm, I know I'm rushing people. I've got like three or four calls I still want to get to, so we're going to head into the speed round right now. And
8: yeah. They, hey, hey, Jerry, they, you they should call me them. after yeah. the
0: show. I'll give
1: you okay. Dr. Jane's phone number. She does a lot with the Ford people on the forums and you can call okay. Jane and talk to her about that because its uh, I've never heard of what you your have happening happen. so.
8: Okay, I'll call you after the show then. Okay, okay. thanks you guys.
0: All right, thanks. Yeah, I wanna hear more from you. Let's go to Texas. Jeremy, welcome to the program.
9: Hello guys, how's it going? Good. Wanted to uh, tell everyone, wanted to, well, don't really need any help. I just wanted to tell a story since we were on the uh, troubleshooting stuff. Sure. Bought this truck back in 2019. And a year later, all in the middle of the pandemic. What
1: kind of truck truck and what engine?
9: Dang it, Bruce, I knew I was was supposed to say that, and I completely (laughs) forgot. Yeah, it's a uh, 16 Cascadia, a DD-15. Okay. Um, in 2020, it threw a code saying that the number five uh, cylinder had low compression, and I've been mechanicing for 30 years. I it's like it's not acting like it's missing, but it did D rate and I'd been wanting to buy the uh, the data link for a long time already. Anyway, so I was close to home, uh, ordered the data link, got the software, um, got the truck home, ran the the uh, troubleshooting on it, and cleared the code. The truck ran fine for six months, the code came back again. I did the same thing. Um, I kinda got to thinking, ah, it's probably time for an overhead, I wanna get it into Pittsburgh Power anyways, get the tune put on that you guys just come up with. Uh, did that, code went away, never came back. I was like, yep, you just wanted the overhead ran. Well a month and a half ago, um, was down in uh, Carolina and got a different coat, or got the same coat but for a different cylinder. And but this one would not clear with the troubleshooting procedure. Kept coming back, kept coming back. It's like ah, finally maybe now I can figure out exactly what the hell's really going on under there. And so I did something real scientific. I got out and I unplugged the injector harness, looked at it, see if there was any oil in it, there wasn't. Wiggled it when I put it back on and the code went away and didn't come back. So just got me theorizing that it's quite possible that the injector harness was starting to go bad. Um, So I went home this last week and pulled the valve cover, Checked to make sure everything was fine. It didn't have any broken rocker arms or anything like the troubleshooting was asking. Uh, but went ahead and changed the injector harness
7: and ran the overhead
9: and got about four thousand miles, and everything is still running fine. But I just wanted to let everybody know, I, if you've got any kind of confidence or mechanical abilities whatsoever, I paid fifteen hundred dollars initially for the the code reader and the software for the Detroit, and it is a seven dollars to $800 uh, subscription every year. But that code came up four times, and the troubleshooting procedure that a shop would put you through would take almost a week. Because it's talking about pulling the head and looking at the damn piston and stuff.
0: Hey, Jeremy, I, I can yes. almost guarantee it won't take them a week because none of them follow those troubleshooting guides anyway. They just throw parts at stuff.
9: Well, that's, that's a funny thing, Kevin, in order to clear the code, you have to go through the troubleshooting thing in the computer.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, now, they may they they, they may not actually, they might not
9: actually do all
0: that. Right. Cause it,
9: right. you know, starts out, pull the fuel filter housing, look down, is there any metal in there? Then it has you pull the valve cover. Is there any broken rocker arms? Uh, is the injector? No.
0: Yeah, I'm with you as far as, you know, that sounds like a lot of money, but in today's world, it's really not. If you can spend that money and then, like you said, just learn how to do this. We've been talking a lot about this. This is a time where people should focus more on doing as much of their own maintenance work as they possibly can.
9: Yeah, I just spent $4,000 on this thing at home, and uh, that was all just parts and um, a whole
0: lot of sweat. Yeah, exactly. Uh,
9: Yeah, I just did my radiator and water pump and thermostat and all that. And yeah, Yeah, that was
0: just- All all that sweat would have doubled the price. You you saved yourself a lot of money. So I'm with you. We've been talking about it a lot. We're probably gonna talk about it more. Uh, It's a good time to get your hands dirty and do a little work on your own truck with part shortages and labor shortages and shops not doing most of this stuff well anyway. Good time to learn how to do it yourself. Let's uh, roll right along here. Um, We're going to go to Colorado. Patrick, welcome to the program.
6: Morning, guys. Hey, uh, real quick. We had a new X-15 come in about three weeks ago. Remote tuner up in Cheyenne. Um, It's got the 2450 uh, CM on it. And we could not get that thing to run for nothing. And here, here's the here's the end result. And uh Jr. and and um, oh Leroy, they put their two noodles together, and they figured, and they figured, and they run the math, and they did all this, and they came up with two or three different programs for this customer. The R and D that we had to do on my end was go for a ride in the truck. Uh so the boys could look at what was going on inside the ECM with the uh, stock tune and the upgraded tune and then back to the stock tune. And they put it all together, and this man has no more troubles, and he's pulling 60,000 pounds down the road, four-axle trailer and a four-axle truck. And uh very happy, very, very happy. Now, these guys... Everybody can say they'd rather go to somebody else or do something with somebody else, another diesel shop, but, and, and I'm prejudiced because I am a remote tuner, but these guys step up to the plate. So if anybody ever gives you any bullshit about who does what, the guys at Pittsburgh power will hang in there until they get problems figured out, especially on this new stuff. So that's, that's all I had, and 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 on that N fourteen. That so can that just not be a characteristic of that particular motor that that thing's running a little lower arp or a little lower uh, oil pressure?
2: Well, normally no. I mean, generally they run, you know, forty going down the road, uh, hot, being hot, and twenty hot idle, and they'll they vary a couple pounds either way. But the fact that he's when he's driving it down to 32 and 12 is, is almost at what's not acceptable. There's something right. going and on. We thought, with that low pressure, we thought it would be easy to find. And, and so far, well, we, Pete, we have to
6: Remember in the old 444 XDs when they had that, there was some kind of a bypass at the, uh, wasn't it at the uh, oil Filter, head, was, wasn't there some kind of bypass on that, that 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 forced that oil pressure to go down as you were going down the road with that 444 if it opened well, up a, a, and a, stayed that way? If
2: the filter's fog, there's a bypass, um, but we, we checked before and after filter pressure,
6: and it was fine. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Well, I'm out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> there, I mean, you, but anyway,
0: there, there I mean, you go. It's not a whole but, lot uh, to cause low world pressure. Hey, hey, Patrick, like you said, part of troubleshooting sometimes is just persistence. You just stick with it till you figure it out. And that I think that's what this one's going to be. All right, we're, uh, we're going to take one more call. We're going to wrap up the power hour after this. Then we're going to take a short break, um, about 15 minutes or so. We're going to come back and launch... The pit at 945. I think we also have a special guest today. I just got a note from uh, uh, John, I think. Um, so we've got a special guest joining us today. That'll be at 945 Pacific time. So uh, Brian, it looks like you get the final word today. We're going to head off to New York. Welcome.
10: Hey, fellas. Hi. Kevin, hi Bruce. Uh, I guess I got just a few minutes. Um, so I bought I bought a truck. Uh, March seventh, I've had the truck, and it's been over at Redneck Diesel a few times. Uh, Bruce referred me over there. Uh, anyway, I got about eighteen thousand dollars of bills from them, um, and. You just passed the inspection with my company, and now I'm scared to jump. Um, I just kind of wanted to see what you thought, uh, you know, about taking that leap right now in these current circumstances. I mean, it's a good company. They give you 100% of fuel surcharge. Um, owner-operators have been with them 30, 40 years, um, and they're, you know, They've never had a layoff, I guess, in a over 113
0: years or something like that. And okay. Um, first off, we the the beauty of the new format is even though I said we were ending at 9:30, um, I don't have to. So don't feel like you're rushed. We'll we'll stick with you on this call and we'll we'll uh, finish it up without uh, looking at the clock. So um, first off, tell me about the truck. What year? What make, what model, how much did you pay for it? I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> it's an older,
4: it's an older, it's a, it's your favorite truck. It's a, it's a 2004 P 379.
10: It's got the MBN engine in it. Um, I paid too much money for it, but it's paid for in cash. I don't have a truck payment. I do have a storage unit. Um, I could,
0: theoretically still throw
10: it in a storage unit and ride this out oh. for a while, but okay, so but I don't want to. Yeah, I don't so, want to. I
0: so I could beat you up on buying a truck that's going to cost you $15,000 a year more in fuel than was necessary, but let's skip that and go on to the, the important yes. question. Tell me what you're afraid of. What do you think could go wrong in, if you decide to just, get in this truck and start driving it?
10: Well, I don't have any history on the truck. And it's got one, it's got, it's got one, it's got a million, uh, 15,000 on it. Redneck Diesel has gone completely through it though and, and said it's a solid truck. Um,
1: you know, I, I, guess the, I wouldn't be
0: afraid of it. Todd's, no, I, um, Todd's a sharp guy and, and uh, go yeah, ahead, put it, it to work. So uh, that's kind of why I'm trying to get to, to the root of what it is you're worried about, because I can tell you this, you can go out and buy a brand new truck and I'm, I'm almost more worried about putting a brand new truck on the road than I am one like this. We know the history of this That's truck or, or a little bit. We just went through it. So any time where we're going to get into this business, we have to deal with the fact that we have equipment that breaks down. And some of those breakdowns can be pretty damn expensive. But I can also tell you this. If you're running the business properly, there's plenty of money to maintain your equipment. So, so again, is it, is it really just the equipment you're worried about or is there something else?
10: Well, I, I heard you. You know, I, I know you said six miles per gallon is the, is kind of the break even point. Um, I'm sure my truck is probably not going to get that, so I'm going to be eating some of the, the cost.
0: Well, hold of fuel on. Hold, hold on. Hold I'll on. I'll tell you. You that, call me. I'll tell you how to get the fuel mileage. Yeah. That. W- tell me what kind of trailer do you pull?
10: Um, it's a tanker, and I'm I'm usually right seventy. Oh, yeah but,
0: yeah, but, you know, tanker's not that big of a deal. You're going to be doing local, regional, long haul. It's, it's It's
10: I'm based out of Dallas, Texas, and, and so it's out and back for me.
0: Okay, they, so. You know, I go to
10: New York, I go to Washington, and back, and so, I'm empty
0: half the time. Yeah, so here's the thing. There is no reason that if you call Bruce, like he just said, there's no reason we can't make this a seven-mile-per-gallon truck, and we don't even have to spend that much money to do it. So I'm not worried about fuel cost. You could have done better. I mean, without, you know, not buying a classic, we could have done better with aerodynamics, but you already bought it. We can beat six. That's not a problem. I think seven will be easy in this operation. So what's the next thing you're worried about?
10: Nothing. Okay. Well, the economy. Well, the economy, the recession. Okay. Those. The. You know. And 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 just listening to all the negativity and and saying, oh well, we're not, you know, fuel shortages are coming and all this and that and it's scary.
0: Yeah. No. But that's. Sometimes all we have to do is talk about things and then they don't become quite so scary. Like the, the maintenance, you're worried about that. It really it's not an issue. All of us have to deal with it. We all have to fix our truck. The money's there to do it. You mentioned fuel. Okay, as long as we get better than six, fuel isn't a problem. There's no reason we can't get better than six. Now, the economy, the recession, the shortages, those are worrisome. Because it's not always in our control, and we don't always have the answers yet. But there is another way to look at this. I've always said, no matter how bad the economy gets, even if we go past a recession and go go into a depression, um, somebody is going to deliver the freight, and somebody's going to make money doing it. You have to. If there isn't enough money for people to go out and move freight profitably, the whole country is going to shut down. That's not going to happen. So we are in an industry that is so necessary that it can't go away. And somebody has to move the freight. In my opinion, all you have to do is be in the top 50% of the industry. I doubt that we would ever lose more than half I mean, we would have to be in a major depression to lose half. But even if we did, I can promise you, lose half the industry. I'm still going to be here pulling freight and making money. That would be my attitude. And I, I think that, you know, you're just by talking to you a little bit, I can tell you've thought this through. You know what decisions you made that were good, what weren't so good. I, I don't see any reason why you're not going to make it through this. Now, let me ask you one right. more question. Right. How How much... Thank Kevin. Go ahead, Bruce.
1: I've seen all the pictures of this 379. It's beautiful. I'd have bought this truck.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, yes. so, yes. so yes. let me ask you yes, this, Bruce. Brian. Um, currently, roughly, you don't have to give me exactly, but roughly how much are you making a year?
10: I made. Mean- I made 75,000 as a company driver. However, I got a 19 cent per mile raise as a company driver uh, overall for, so I, you know, I'm on track probably if I would have stayed company driver, I probably could have, you know, it could realistically probably been around a hundred maybe.
0: Okay. So I I did
10: uh, did 130,000 miles last year. Um, And that was
0: only working about 10 months. Okay. So now this gives us some numbers to work with. So the 75 that you were making before the raise, we can probably recreate that as an owner operator with, with fuel surcharges the way they are. And we could probably recreate the 75 pretty confident about that. I'm not so confident we could recreate the hundred. Not, not with what's coming up. I will get back to that at some point. I think we're going to have a couple years here where making that hundred, especially for a new owner-operator, that's going to be a challenge. I have to believe though that you can survive on the seventy-five. Uh,
10: yeah, I can yeah, absolutely. I, uh, you know, my, my my monthly expenses are around two thousand dollars a month. Uh, personal, you know. The, um, I will tell you that the owner operator uh, that I've been talking to, he's been with the company like 35 years. He's got a 2005 Peterbilt 379. It's got the twin turbo in it. He told me that I could plan on about $3,000 a month in the clear. I mean a week, $3,000 a week in the clear after all expenses.
0: Is this That's a uh, is this a and, mileage contract or a percentage contract?
10: No, th- yeah, this will be a
0: percentage. Okay, so then then don't pay attention to his 150 because that's what that works out to be. That works out to be 150 right. net. That's not going to happen. It might have right. happened last year because rates were through the roof, but that's not going to happen this year. I, in fact, I, I'm going to be okay. honest with you. You're going to have to do a lot of things right to make that 75.
10: Right. Yeah, I'm going to need to upgrade the truck with his first hours. No, I, I
0: understand that. Yeah, but, it, but it, it's possible. Now, the 100, I, if you make it, congratulations. I, I, I kind of doubt that the next 12 months that's going to be possible. Maybe in the tanker field, I'm not sure. But I, I think we're, we're going into business is always a risk. But I, I think you're safe enough to say you could make that 75. And if you're okay with that, then I would say jump in the truck, put it on the road, and let's get this party started.
10: Okay, all right. I I just needed to kind of quiet some of my... I didn't want to make a decision based out of fear, and I've been struggling with that.
1: It, it's a, Call me in about a half hour. It's a Call me time. at one o'clock Eastern time. There you go.
10: Okay, okay. Okay, okay Bruce. All, all right, uh, Carlos, thank you very, very, very much. I, as always, man, y'all are the best.
0: All right, you're welcome. I want to hear back from you as well. Uh, call Bruce, he'll figure out how to get you to seven plus miles to the gallon, and then we yeah. won't have to worry about fuel. All right, we're, uh, we're gonna wrap this up. Um, I hey, know there's still, oh, go ahead, Bruce.
1: I, I do have to say one thing. Brian Martin and his brother, I think it's Bryce, at four states trucks in Joplin, Missouri, is one of our newest catalyst dealers. Oh,
0: excellent. So, Excellent. Yeah. Four speech trucks now have Max Mileage Fuelborne Catalyst. That's a popular place, so that'll help a lot of people out. hmm Excellent. All right. Um, we're gonna wrap this up. We will be back uh, now we're down to about eight minutes. We are gonna launch the pit at nine forty five here on the west coast. We'll see you then. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy always do the hard work and master the journey.